everyone, this is Will from The Lost Colors, and continuing our discussion from orientation. Alright, in this episode, I'm going to be reviewing my notes. Uh, from orientation that talks about common law. And to do so, we actually read several cases, uh, three cases that was derived to illustrate what common law is and how it works. Uh, these three cases was Winterbottom v. Wright, Thomas and White v. Winchester, and McPherson versus Buick Modico. Uh, for my notes, I wrote up a brief uh, for each case, and I'm going to try and tie in how common law was used with each of these cases. So just to go over what common law is before getting into each of these cases, it's a process by which the court decides uh, the custom of the law. In other words, common law is the precedent future courts use when they're determining a case rather than uh, by statutory codes. Now, one way to think of common law uh, is to differentiate it from civil law. Civil law uses the codes, uh, whereas common law uses uh, court cases. It came from the English system and was adopted by the colonies when they organized their court system. Uh, there are two main limitations to common law. The first is that it's jurisdictional uh, because we live in a, a federalism system, meaning uh, state governments and federal governments are different. It means common law in Iowa could be different than common law in Utah. Uh, for instance, a case could come before... Uh, Utah and a case could come before U Iowa that have similar uh, facts of the case but have different outcomes because of the common law in each case. And the second is a little bit more subtle, uh, the second limitation. It's that no two cases are exactly alike, so it could be difficult to figure out which common law principle should be used in educating those cases. And so because of this slight difference, a court could use a law for a certain part of a case and a different law for a different part of a case that could be considered a little controversial. And these differences actually make it a little hard to conduct research uh, when trying to figure, it, figure out how a case should be ruled. Okay, so let's get into Winterbottom v. Wright. Uh, this was in England. Uh, the plaintiff is Winterbottom. The defendant is Wright. Uh, the background is that Winterbottom was contracted to drive a mail coach uh, for the Postmaster General. He had a contract with the Postmaster General. The Postmaster General also had a contract with another individual who was... Uh, over making sure that the repairs on the stagecoach were fine and to drive. The important part to note here is that even though Winterbottom had a contract with the, uh, with the postmaster, he did not have a contract with uh, the contractor who is right. So there was no agreement between Winterbottom and Wright. Anyways, Winterbottom was driving the mail carrier, and it broke down, and he was lame for life. And so he sued uh, Winterbottom for, uh, sorry, Winterbottom sued Wright for injuries. 
So the claims is that the defendant was negligent in maintaining the well-being of the coach, and this is evidenced uh, by the lack of keeping the contract, uh, and he had knowledge of the coach's defects. The defense that is planted is that uh, the plaintiff, which is Winterbottom, was not a direct party of the contract, and so he wasn't subject to a remedy, meaning the defense wouldn't have to pay a remedy because he wasn't part of this agreement. The He only had an agreement with the Postmaster General. And so the any remedy that needed to be decided should have been between the plaintiff and the Postmaster, not right. Okay, so what was the holding? It means judgment... It, the court said judgment for the defendant. That is, the judgment goes on behalf of the defendant, meaning no uh, need to remedy was necessary. And what was the reasoning that the court gave? Well, they referenced Levy versus Langridge. Uh, in Levy v. Ring, uh, Langridge, a gun was purchased for a son. However, the son ended up causing an accident with it. Even though he wasn't a direct part of the party... Uh, he was still found as a party member by fraud. In other words, he was still tied to this contract because it was still given to him as if he was going to be that party member. Now, the difference here is that there was no party by fraud. What I mean by that is Winterbottom knew that he was going to be a third party. Uh, he didn't. He knew he didn't have this contract with the mail carrier to begin with. And part of the reasoning why the court didn't rule in favor of Winterbottom as well is they were worried that if anybody else was injured in the accident, then anybody would have a case. Uh, against the defendant regardless of a contract of agreement and it was worried they were worried that this would negate the uh, strength of contracts in the system okay so thomas and wife v winchester uh the plaintiff was thomas and wife and the background uh, the defendant is winchester the background for this one is that mrs thomas was ill and she was administered some belladonna instead of dandelion. And belladonna is a poison. Dandelion was a medicine. Uh, the label on it said that it was prepared by A. Gilbert. However, Gilbert hadn't exactly prepared the medicine. He was more an agent and that had the label on it. So the label was purchased from Winchester, which is why they are the defendant in this court. Um, the court acquitted Gilbert. Uh, and then charged Winchester $800, and Winchester appealed. Uh, his claim was that he was uh, he's not directly tied to this, um, to the uh, to Thomas and wife, because uh, there was no signing contract between them. And he cites uh, specifically uh, Winterbottom uh, for this case, because... And the defense says uh, that because this was deadly force, uh, not deadly force, but because this was deadly, uh, then there should be a stronger tie 
uh, to it because of the immediate danger that it put uh, this family in. So the holding is that the judge agreed with the plaintiffs and the hold uh, and the uh, the initial ruling was upheld. So the analysis uh, the court compares Winterbottom with this case. And so Winchester argued that because he was A and the plaintiff was party C, uh, there is no B, uh, there is no direct agreement, and so he shouldn't be held liable into the damages that were caused. However, the court said that the negligence of Winchester caused the immediate danger to the plaintiffs and because the poison, uh, it was poison that was administered. So the difference between Winterbottom here and the... Uh, case at hand is the imminent danger that was presented. So the final ruling for this is that case law can change, sorry, common law can change uh, to uphold the rules uh, for different situations. So finally, Mac. Uh, Fearson versus Buick Motor Co. Uh, Max Fearson is the plaintiff. The defendant was Butermo, uh, Buick Motor Co. So the manufacturer uh, manufactured a vehicle and sold it to a dealership. He sold it to Max Fearson. He was driving the vehicle and it collapsed on him and he sustained several injuries. Uh, the vehicle a part that collapsed was made of faulty wood. So the legal question at hand is, does the manufacturer own any liability to anyone other than the direct purchaser? Meaning, is uh, Buick liable for the injury sustained to McPherson? The holding uh, is interesting um, because it goes in favor of McPherson and the plaintiff. Meaning that, yes... He is, and the manufacturer is liable for the damages that are caused to a, um, is liable for the damages that are caused to uh, a third party. And this is way different than uh, in Winterbottom v. Wright. In Winterbottom v. Wright, they're not liable for any damages in... However, in Thomas and Wifey Winchester, they are liable if it poses an imminent threat, meaning it's a weapon. Here, the analysis says uh, that if it's improperly made, then it could consider be considered a weapon because that um, that object was made improperly and thus made it dangerous they do say that it needs to be probable that it would be uh, highly dangerous if that product were to be used so why should we care about this we learned um we we learned that the case law can't uh, the common law can change uh, to accommodate for changing times. And that's really the biggest takeaway from this lesson. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.